0: Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. Without further ado, Romans chapter 8. I literally got through half of my outline this morning. I have no idea what I was doing. Uh, Yeah, 11.33. We're doing good. We're we're at a good time. But like the 9 o'clock service, like literally I didn't even get to my points. So at this point, I'm like, maybe, I know, right? Maybe I shouldn't get through my outline so that the 9 a.m. is at the same place where we are uh, in the following week. But anyway, we'll see what happens. I'm okay if we get through it. If we don't, we don't. I think I told one too many stories, but um, next week, we're going to focus on chapter 9. Regardless of how much I get done today, we're going to come back to chapter 8. Cody is preaching next Sunday. You won't want to miss it. We've been working through this uh, on this topic of election. Now, are you, are you back there, Cody? Is that you? Yeah, watch this for hand raising. So how many of you, when I say uh, Calvinism or election, or the doctrine of grace, or should we say it this way, um, predestination. When I say those words, how many of you, you kind of know what I'm talking about? That's pretty good. That's a pretty good percentage. I would say maybe a little under half. This morning it was like 75% in the 9 a.m. So what we're going to do is we're going to approach that topic not from like just that topic, Uh, But we're going to dig into it because some of the scriptures that we're reading through in Romans 8 and Romans 9 are used as facilitators for some of that doctrine. So if you know what it is, great. If you don't, don't feel bad like it is what it is. You'll learn some things. Um, But I think sometimes we get, especially in the church, we get more focused on systems of theology than the actual Bible. Right? Like we have our... Our way we want to view and and our way we want to be attached to the doctrine of salvation more than the scriptures of the doctrine of salvation. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so then we start looking through that lens. And everything has to fit through that system of theology. And I've been there, right? There, were, there was a season of my life where I was a lot more reformed in my, in my doctrine. Uh, I would not consider myself reformed probably at maybe some of my eschatology, but I'm not really reformed at all at this point. Um, and it's just funny how you come full circle on things. But uh, I don't believe that God predestines some people for heaven and some people for hell. I don't believe that that's how God looks at it. I don't think that that's his intent or that's his goal. There are some people that believe that. And at our church, I I want to be kind to other Christians that don't believe the way we believe, right? Like, I don't want this to be, if church, if everybody looks the same in church and acts the same, you got a problem. You feel me? If everybody is, (laughs) and it's one rally cry and nobody disagrees, like it's June, right? I mean, we don't have to go very far to find out what's June all about right now in this culture. Does anybody know? Huh? Juneteenth or Pride, Pride Month, right? So there, there's, there's things that are happening in our culture. But look, if we don't have gay people in our church, we're not doing it right. I'm just saying. Pastor, are you saying, look, you take it however you want to take it. But if we don't have gay people in our church, I'm doing something wrong. That's, that's how I personally take it. And if you're like, uh, I don't really feel comfortable with that, chill, hang out a while. You'll figure it out. There's a little bit of a ring. Maybe the monitors, I'm not sure. We have a guest sound person today. Give her a hand. You're doing great. <laughs> and, Kyle, and Kyle on the live probably went, ha-ha. <laughs> anyway, but uh, so my, my point is, is we need to be, we can be very accepting without approving. We don't know how to do that anymore. We don't know how to say, look, I accept you. I love you. I don't necessarily approve of how, how you do things. Look, if we, can't, if we can't have folks come and hear the preaching of the word of God, then how are they ever going to be transformed? How are you going to ever be transformed from the inside out? Like we don't have our own junk. You know what I'm saying? So this is kind of like the mindset. And as we approach Romans 8 and 9, some of you are going to track with what I'm saying. You're going to understand it. If you don't, just hang in there. Because it's important at church that we talk to people who've been in church for 40 years, just as much of people who got here last week, right? So there's something for everybody as we walk through. That's the design. You see Paul doing this, right? Even in the book of Romans. Um, so just buckle up, buttercup, because it's going to be good. Uh, now remember, context-wise, and this is how it happens. This is how I don't get to my message. you hear that ring? I think it's just a little bit of game, maybe. But uh, all that being said... The perspective, the lay of the land, and this will fix the end of Romans chapter 8 and Romans 9. If we keep in mind, it looks like a different part of the book. It looks like a different letter almost all together when we approach it, but we can't look at it that way. We can't say, well, okay, somebody else wrote this part. Paul didn't write this. No, this is Paul. Phoebe's reading this letter in the house church at Rome to four to five different house churches, and it's the same letter. And so as she approaches chapter 8, she takes this turn, she takes this perspective, and our minds should be open from the perspective, from the context of what we've already discussed in Romans thus far. And here's what we've discussed. The point we've reached is this is between Torah-abiding Jews and non-Torah-abiding Gentiles. The goal is Christoformity. The goal is that both Torah-abiding Jews and non-Torah-abiding Gentiles will meet in the middle where Jesus is standing and that they will all become like Jesus. The goal is not, and I've heard, and I'm going to debunk this a little bit, and if you don't like this, hang out a while. (laughs) The goal was not to get uh, Torah-abiding Jews to stop abiding by Torah. Paul never says that. Paul was a Torah-abiding Jew. I bet he ate kosher. When in Rome, remember he even encouraged Timothy and Titus in, their, Titus in their respective contexts to live as according to those that they were trying to who? Trying to reach. I became all things to all men that I might by all means save some back in our study on Corinthians. So the perspective here, understand he doesn't look at the Torah abiding Jew and say, you stop doing that. And he doesn't look at the Gentile and say, you need to get circumcised. There's a difference. And so uh, one he did call weak and the other strong, which I think is funny. But beyond that, what, how do we fit in this mold? Have we become the Torah-abiding Jew with the way a Christian should act? And we look at the, new, the newcomer and we say, this is what you gotta do. You gotta wear what? And, and look at churches that do this. And they are my brothers and sisters. I can pick on them. Why? Because they're believers. They should be strong enough or me strong enough to understand where the weaker brother, which is the language Paul is using. So from my pulpit, I say to those other churches, chill, cool it. It's less important that they're wearing a suit and more important that they learn what the Holy Spirit is on the day of Pentecost. And if you want to wear a suit every Sunday, God bless you. I kind of wish we could go back to wearing suits because I liked it. You know what I'm saying? I like dressing up. I like to put on a bow tie every now and then. But, but it's, it's whatever. You can wear whatever you want to church. The reason I, I mean, obviously, obviously, <laughs> it's whatever. I, I mean, what am I doing today? I have no idea. <laughs> I maybe ironed my pants, if that. <laughs> I might have ironed my pants this morning. I definitely didn't iron my shirt. And it is what it is. So anyway, my point is, is I'm trying to create and foster an atmosphere at church where we can reach people. That's my goal. I don't know about yours. But in, in doing so, we have to understand what reaches them. It's the Bible. It is the Holy Ghost. It is prayer. It ain't a system of theology. You feel me? So anyway, uh, we get sidetracked, don't we, as churches, as believers. We we fall into traps. and 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 then it's like the new comfort zone. Well, the new comfort zone is we're known for this, or we're known for that. You come here for this. You ever heard that, like certain churches? I want it to be known that you come to Bethlehem for the coffee. No, I'm kidding. I want people to know that when they come to Bethlehem, people are welcoming, and, and they, they give them a hug, and, and they may smell a little funny when they give them a hug. And I mean the person that was already here. <laughs> Look, those folks, they just love Jesus. They might not be all there, but they just love Jesus. Look, it's more important about the God of the person than the person. If people see us and become infatuated with us, they miss the point. Okay, something just changed. Whatever you did, I'm not sure that it was a good thing. (laughs) Something just shifted in the sound. All right, let's jump in. Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse number 1, Romans chapter 8, verse number 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Everybody say amen. Amen. I think the scriptures are in there, Cody, if you could throw them up on the screen. Romans 8, verse number 1, there is now therefore no, what is it? Condemnation. That fear, shame, and guilt that we we're talking about in worship. What the enemy's coming. I'm going to hopefully prayerfully bless you. I'm going to hopefully prayerfully connect a dot for you this morning. And that's where I don't really care if we get to the points. If we get to this perspective of love that we connect this morning, I, we will have done good this morning in the word. But we have to see that there is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. If this is your first week here, I'm sorry, but we've laid a lot of groundwork in the book of Romans. The point is, is if we are standing trial, there's a lot of legal terms in this book. And legally, Satan is often called the enemy in scripture. He's called the accuser. We see that what we think of as Satan maybe in the Job context, where he says, hast thou, where God says to him, hast thou considered my what? Servant Job. And Satan often what he does is he accuses, he says to uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, he says, look at what you're doing. And if we were standing on, on the, uh, the stand and we were being prosecuted, it would be Satan uh, levying those charges against us. And the judge, the rightful judge, God the Father looks at us Or when we declare our loyalty to Jesus, he looks at Jesus taking our place, our substitutionary atonement, our sacrifice for where we were supposed to be standing. He now sees Jesus high and lifted up, condemned, he became sin, who knew no what, sin, that we might be made or justified or declared righteous, the righteousness of God. So this is a state it's not an action verb. This thing of justification is a state of being. We are now at peace with God. We have been declared righteous. There is no charges levied at us that can stick or find. We are Johnny Depp. <laughs> Walking up out of that thing going, yeah. Maybe a little something stuck <laughs> anyway. Oh, That was rough, Sorry. You get the picture. Ooh, that was vivid. The point is is that the accuser of the brethren looks at us and condemns us and tries, but God the Father says, they're not condemned. I condemned my son. Mm -hmm. Look at chapter 7. These are not in there. I'm kind of going back and forth. Chapter 7, verse 1 says, Since I am speaking to those who know the law, brothers and sisters... Chapter 7 was clearly to the Torah-abiding Jews. Chapter 8, he's going a different direction. Chapter 8, he says, there is now therefore uh, no condemnation to those. You you hear this inclusive term? I've I've spoke to the Torah-abiding Jews of what the law will do for them, and now I'm going to talk about a different law for those. There's no condemnation. Look at verse number 2 of chapter 8. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Remember that conversation last week? You should be putting these two together. I don't have time to go into all of it. But verse number three. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God what? Uh Uh-huh. God did it. He condemned sin in the flesh By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a what? Sin offering. Now watch this. Every Torah-abiding Jew in the house goes, offering? Remember, two groups of people here. They go, sin offering. They immediately, like you right now, pastor's 10 minutes into the sermon, they got the glaze over them, and he says, sin offering, and all the Torah-abiding Jews go, sin offering? And they wake up and they're jarred in their seat. Why? Because Phoebe just said something that applies to them. Watch what he, watch what's said here. To the sin offering, verse number four, in order that the law's requirement, don't miss that, would be what? Fulfilled. In us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the what? Spirit. For those who live under the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is what? Death. But the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's what? Law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh, what does it say? Cannot please who? God. You, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the what? If indeed the Spirit of God, don't miss this, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of what? Of Christ. See what he did there? We're going to dig into that a little bit more in a minute. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives what? Life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His what? That's what it's all about today. Through His what? His Spirit who lives in you. Now, pause for a second. Look back to verse number two. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. Thinking about God doing something, look at verse number four. Uh, No, I'm sorry. Let's finish that verse. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. Here's what I think is being invoked here. Remember Father Abraham, who has already been talked about in this book? Paul often talks about the patriarch Abraham as the father of what? All of them. The beginning of this trajectory that Moses would then receive the law of God on Mount Sinai, that began with Father Abraham. What happened with Father Abraham? He went up into the mountain with who? His what? His son. son. And he put him as an offering out there to what? To kill him. God commanded him to kill his only son. The son that had to be miraculously born unto Sarah. The son that he uh, attempted to bring about himself through a handmaiden Hagar, which created a ton of problems. But he finally gets his son. His only son. The one to whom everyone would come. Abraham, I've promised. I've promised to make you a father. Unto many nations and here's the, the vehicle by which all of those nations will come as my son and God has told me to what kill him. And so he raises the knife and what happens? The angel stops the knife. Isaac gets off the altar and they find a ram. the offering for sin. The mechanism by which eventually would would become the sin offering. If you don't have a a lamb, if if you didn't have the wealth to provide a lamb for that sacrifice without spot or blemish, you could offer two turtle doves, a cheaper sacrifice. But every year there had to be sin offerings. And so that Torah-abiding Jew has in view what Abraham, what, could not, what, Do. What Abraham could not do, it was perpetuated in a system of sacrifices. And Paul, knowing that every one of those Torah-abiding Jews, remembers the story of Father Abraham going to sacrifice in his son. And what he's saying is what man, what, could not do, God, what, did. In view, the sacrifice is literally Jesus going up the hill with the bundle of sticks. It was the cross, and when he got there, what we could not do, what Abraham could not do, what Isaac could not do, he wasn't perfect. God did. He became sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. What the the murder or the sacrifice of lambs and goats and, and birds could not fulfill, God fulfilled. And so as they're sitting there in the perspective of Romans chapter 7, Paul gets there in chapter 8 and he says, let me bring something. Let me conjure up a picture for you. And as you sit in your system of law, I want you to understand that as hard as Abraham tried, it wasn't what? It wasn't enough. Nor do you want it to be. What man here possesses the capacity to actually kill his only begotten son? Not me. I'd be like, you dead, not my children. Do you, do you see what he's putting into perspective? That's what he's saying. He's saying what could not be done according to the law, what could not be done according to the patriarchs, according to the people who you think their you-know-what doesn't stink, God actually is the one who did it, not them. So why are you sitting in your snobbery of law-abiding Torah when the Gentiles, it's not not about them getting circumcised and and abiding by uh, these rituals that weren't enough. It's about us meeting in the middle for what those things were about and what Jesus did for them too. Do you see it? It's coming together, isn't it? Now, let's talk about what Jesus did. Torah-abiding Jew, I'm not saying stop doing what you're doing, but what I'm saying is there's something else that fulfilled the reason why you're doing what you're doing. Huh, there's, there's something else here at play. First Peter chapter three verse eighteen. Eleven fifty-four. We're definitely doing better than we did at the nine o'clock hour. Look, look, at this verse. First Peter three eighteen. For Christ also suffered for sin. What's it say? Once for all. Let's let's read the whole verse and I'll, I'll chat about it for a sec. We'll read two of them actually. For Christ also suffered for sin. Once for all, the righteous for the what? Unrighteous. That he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the what? That's literally a synopsis of what we just read in Romans chapter 8. Even Peter, who was Mr. Torah abiding Jew, had to come to this perspective and understand it. Do you see it? Pentecost Peter, we'll call him that for today because today's the day of Pentecost, right? Pentecost Peter had to come to this perspective that he suffered for sin once for all. And let me bring this into perspective for you. As we read chapter eight, and I'm not in any hurry to get through it today. Like if we, if we take three weeks on this, I'm okay with it. Wherever we get at 12:15, we'll wind her down and go home and eat the pot roast, all right? Um, but, but I want you to follow this. We're, we're building a, a picture here. And so what I want you to see there's this tension of being in the flesh and being in the what and the spirit come on there's tension of being in the flesh and being in the spirit. in the flesh. Spirit. this sides the flesh being in the spirit. y'all the flesh you ain't going to get out of that y'all say flesh when i point y'all say spirit when i point you ready there's a temptation of being in the flesh. but you should be in the spirit. i hear that a lot and I hear pastors preach that every day you wake up in the morning, you make a choice to be in the, or in the, I didn't point to y'all yet. Man. I've even heard whole sermons preached on Romans chapter 8. And unfortunately, these are preached from the perspective of they looked for a passage to say what they wanted it to say. They weren't reading through the whole book, right? But they pre- And I get the perspective, but it's, it's just, it doesn't quite hit the same. Where they say, hey. Today, you make the choice. You're either living in the flesh or in the spirit. And the danger with that is this. Is there's now therefore what? No condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So what gives? Are we making a decision to be in the flesh or in the spirit? Or are we always in the spirit and sometimes we get in the flesh? Or is it neither? Or is it just a matter of shifting our perspective? I've talked about this a little bit. This idea of time travel. If you consider that God is omniscient and omnipresent, you feel me? Follow, follow me on this brain thought here. This this brain baby that I'm having in this moment. We're gonna deliver it here in a sec. So the point is this: if God is omniscient and omnipresent, that means He is at every moment in time, right now. And if He throw that verse back up there, the Peter one, First Peter. And if he suffered for sin once for all, that means he is at a place to eliminate or extinguish sin for all time. For all of us in this age, that means here we are in 2022. Can you believe it's June? Isn't that nuts? It's crazy. Here we are in June of 2022, feeling 22, and here he was back there, in whatever time he was in, and this applies. And guess what he also knows? You know, he knows the sin you're going to commit 20 years from now. You you feel me? You know where I'm headed with this? He knows the sin you're going to commit the day before you die, Scott. He knows, watch this, all of it. And when he died, he has a specific place in time that he cared for something for all time. So rather than saying this morning, it's your decision, and and here's where people really take it too far. They say your salvation depends on it. It's more like you decide whether or not you're in the flesh or in the spirit, and that's a daily decision. If you're in that place from a perspective of your justification, it's dangerous. If it's based on your being good, your doing spiritual things, Paul would say, That's not how it works, sweetheart. Because you're here based on something he did once for all. So this isn't a question of your salvation. When you declare your loyalty to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I'm putting my faith and trust in what you did. I'm aligning myself with God's family. I'm I'm now a son and daughter. I'm a part. You're now in the spirit of adoption like we talked about last week. And you have become a part of the family. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, it's not I'm going to decide whether to be in the family or not. That end of adoption is God's end. He said Jesus paid a price once for all. That means the sin you're going to commit, the sins you did commit, they've all been cared for. It's no different to God, the one that you're going to, versus the one that you did. He's paid for them, and it's paid in full. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus so, when you wake up tomorrow and you think it's a struggle, am I gonna live for Jesus today or live for Satan? If you go live for Satan, you're doing it as a prodigal. You're going far from home and nothing good is gonna come out of that. And Jesus is looking at you going, I've paid your way. He's not saying, Well, I'm disowning you. There it goes. We're numbers to God. There goes number 15,310. There they go. It's not like that for God. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You're a son and daughter that's walking a wayward way. And those of you that understand sons and daughters breaking your hearts, you understand that feeling intimately. That's what God goes through. And so it's not accurate for us to get up and preach this message and say, well, today are you going to live in the flesh or in the spirit? we should get up every day and live in our new identity as Christ followers. It's not your choice, but it was your choice. Do you understand what I'm saying? You weren't the judge, nor are you the judge of your life. You were the one being judged. And if you're the smart one, you said, I'll take Jesus' sacrifice instead of my own. I'll take Jesus' life instead of my own. If you're smart, you realize that it's by grace. In other words, you can't do anything to merit that position He let you in based on your decision to love him and follow him. Are we clear? Or are, is <laughs> clear as mud on a rainy day? I don't feel like we're quite there, I, but we're close. We have to get a perspective that when you wake up and you live contrary to the Lord, he's already cared for and paid for that lifestyle that you're going out and doing. That's a part of sin once for all. What else is the implication of this? You can't lose your salvation. Eternal security is the implication of this verse right here. Once for all, one and done. So what does that mean? Well, it means you're either backslidden, right? and you need to repent and come back to Jesus, or it means you fake the whole thing. You never really declared your loyalty to Jesus. It's one of the two. You understand what I'm saying? So let's get the right perspective. And why do I think this is important? Because Paul thought it was important. Because the Spirit of God thought it was important to quicken Paul and for him to write this letter and give it to the church, and it's applicable today. If we can get a real good perspective of this theology, I promise you will be changed from the inside out. I promise you, you'll think differently about your sin if you know what was paid for your sin, which is why we partake in communion. Are we connecting any dots here this morning? I love this part of the scripture. I love this part of theology. I love the behind the scenes. It's story time with Pastor Matt, because y'all looking like you have fallen asleep right now. So we took a little trip on the boat, the first trip. And it will probably be our last trip for the season. (laughs) But we shove off. And we have this little pontoon. So if you go out on the weekend, it's not a good idea. You get thrown around all the bigger boats. But I get on this thing, and it's a Wednesday afternoon. It's 3 o'clock, really, beginning of the evening. We had church that night. So we're like, we're just going to go out for like an hour and a half. Maybe we'll make it to Hartmiller, let the kids play in the sand for 20, 30 minutes by the time we get there. Turn around and come back. We'll just go for a little boat ride. And uh, so we get on the boat. We make it out to Hart Miller, and I beach the thing. You know what I mean? I'm I'm still working on it, Chief. The trimming it up and I beach the thing. We get in there. I'm like, you got 35 minutes. Play. Go dig a hole. Get out of here. So they get off. They go play, and they're digging. There was nobody out. Storms coming in. I could see it. I'm like, okay, that's why there's nobody out. Should have checked the weather. I thought it was good. All right, picked a great time to be outside, much less on a boat. So they're playing and they're in the water. I'm like, All right, about time to pack up and get out of here. Here it comes. Here comes the storm. There was like one guy there when we first got there, and he left like as soon as we got there. He's like, Oh no, kids. You know, on out. So I get in the boat and I'm like trying to back. I push it off the shore. I'm trying to back up, and the motor dies. And I thought maybe I just like sucked up a bunch of dirt. And I don't. You know, I don't know anything about mechanics, for those of you that know me. I, kn- I know nothing. I'm not mechanically inclined. We'll just leave that right there. But I'm pushing the boat out, and I'm like, oh, I didn't want to get in. You know what I mean? I wanted to just, like, shove it out and t- just do the rest with the motor. And I got hung up on the sand, and I'm like, yeah, I just sucked up too much sand. So I get out, and I push the thing. If you've been to Hart-Miller, you know the rocks. And the spaces in between. So here I am wading in the water, pushing my boat out, because I think that's what it is. And then I'm, like, trying to climb on it. And so I get on the boat, and I go to start it. I'm like, shut up, kids. We're getting out of here. 30 minutes. Turned into an hour. No, it won't start. I'm like, oh, great. (laughs) There's a storm coming. Did we mention that? And here it rolls in. It starts to rain, and my my firstborn, she's okay. Yeah, her eyes went from here to here to here to here to here, and now she's getting worried. Dad, Dad, why won't, why haven't you started the boat yet, Dad? No apparent reason, Rainy. <laughs> no apparent reason. I'm working on it, sweetheart. Let's just all have a word of prayer right here, all by ourselves out here at Hart Miller Island. I couldn't get the boat started. I thought, well, I flooded it or something, right? That's what they say, like a weed whacker, you know, that you just keep pulling on. So we wait, we pray, we go, nothing. So what do I do? I call James Myrick, (laughs) the one butt mechanic that I know, and I was like, James, dude, I can't get this thing started. He was here at the nine o'clock this morning, but I was like, James, I, I can't get this thing running. He's like, okay, what's it doing? It's not starting. I'll, t- I'll tell you what it's not doing. What it's not doing is running. And I need to get home, and there's a storm coming, and I have to teach about marriage in about 45 minutes. And ah, what's it not? Well, let's start with the one. It's it's not running. Okay. Well, what's it sound like? Y'all mechanics have the strangest language. What's it sound like? Did you get it from that? Let me to record that and send it to you. What I think it sounds like. So, <laughs> So, anyway, so I, nothing. He's like, okay, on the back, like, look by the motor. Do you know what the motor is, Matt? I think I got that one. I think I got that one. He says, do you have fuel in it? Right, that's a good one. Is there? Yes, there's fuel in the boat, and it's not going. So, he says, grab this little thing. It looks like a ball that you squeeze. I'm like... It looks like there's a blood pressure cuff inside the engine compartment. He's like, that's it. Grab that right there and squeeze it. And if it gets hard, it's good. If it doesn't, that's bad. I'm like, okay, I can do this. So I start squeezing. I'm like, James, it's not getting hard. He's like, so you have a fuel issue. I'm like, oh, okay. I said, James, it looks like pretty colors in the water all around me. And he's like, that's gas. So I pull on that thing a little bit more, and what was supposed to be in the engine is just flying around, and gas is just, like, coming out the end of it. He's like, take that and push it in as hard as you can. I was like, okay. And it went click, and I walked over to the key, and I went, whoa, 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 boom. I was like, let me tell you what the engine sounds like right now. It's running. And we drove back, and we got docked later than we should have, and we got here, and we, and we taught marriage, relationship troll series. But, like, the problem was I had a full tank of gas, a full tank, but I wasn't connected to it. And it didn't matter that I had a boat and a full tank of gas and the means at which to go. If I wasn't connected to that and everything working together, I was a sitting duck in a horrible rainstorm. What Paul is saying here is, what you don't understand is that what Jesus did for you legally brought you into the family of God and the, whole, the law of the Spirit of God, he came to live inside of you. And now that the Holy Spirit is there, you must connect to the source in order to be any good as a Christian to live in the Spirit. I really believe this. I believe every Christian, every person that has declared their loyalty to Jesus has the capacity to live a holy, Christ-honoring life. But when they don't, it's because the fuel line has been disconnected from the power source. That's why. You don't know how to access the Holy Spirit of God. If he can be quenched, if he can be grieved, then you're sitting in a storm of life with a full tank of gas, And a boat to drive through it, but without putting the two together, it's stale and it goes nowhere. The goal for today and the coming weeks is for us to unpack this scripture, to share with you how the Holy Spirit works. Here's what Paul has been doing up until this point. He's been talking about the legalities, right? He's been talking about how you are now a temple of God owned by God. The legal term was you are declared righteous. Remember Jesus used terms like temple term? They'll tear this temple down and what? And, and they're going to, it's going to be rebuilt. Well, all of us, he uses that language for us. He says, your body is the what? It's the temple of the Holy Ghost. We got little temples, little churches all over the place. How do they look? Well, some of us focus on how the temple looks. But is it functioning? Is it a place where the Holy Ghost resides? Because, listen, God the Father made a sacrifice where Abraham couldn't, God did. So where the blood was there on the altar from the Lamb to be applied for their sin, you, a temple, should have Jesus' sacrifice on display 24-7 making intercession. So that everybody sees how you have been remade, been recreated. And the agent, just like in the temple when the Holy Ghost or the Shekinah glory would come down, that should already be present in your life. And if you declared your loyalty to Jesus years ago, but there's no power, that's the problem. I'm no mechanic. I thank the Lord for James answering the phone and being like, yeah, knucklehead. No, Here's what Paul is saying. Torah-abiding Jew, it's not how you keep the law. It's not about making the non-Torah abiders conform to the law. It's about both of you conforming to Jesus and doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. We're going to make this one last point. And then we'll give you all the points in a couple weeks because Cody's got next week. Look at this. Don't miss this point. I got seven minutes and I'll let you out early. Sound good? Y'all are still looking a little, fo- I told a story and you're still looking a little foggy on me. How many have a pot roast in the, in the crock pot today? How many are going out to eat? Only one? Y'all lying. Y'all lying. How many y'all going out to eat? Uh-uh, he just talked about generosity. Shoot. <laughs> We're not going out to eat. We're eating beans and rice. <laughs> that's a good one. (laughs) Galatians 1 through 4. Listen to this. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. How many know we're in a present evil age? All right, that's resonating. I'm going to say it again. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God and Father, our God and Father. We... We have heard the gospel and accepted the power of the message. If you have heard the gospel and accepted the power of the message as your own, declaring your loyalty to Jesus, then you are living under the law of the Spirit. That's that's what this is saying. Look at verse number four in our text of chapter eight. I'm about to connect something for you. I'm about to blow your mind. You ready? Chapter eight, verse number four, it says this. In order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled. Do you see that? you have to ask yourself this question. What is the law's requirement? That's Paul's intent. Why is it required? If you're trying to make them do that, does that make sense? Why is that required? Maybe they're missing the point. You see it? Matthew 22, 35 through 40. What I I want you to see here is Paul is using the term spirit of Christ and the spirit of God. How many see that? Anybody see that? Spirit of Christ and Spirit of God. He's doing it on purpose. He's connecting the Holy Spirit's ministry with whose ministry? Jesus'. Specifically Jesus' life and ministry. Why? Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of what? The gospel of Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection holds the power and the keys for us to do this thing. For us to be saved from this evil age. We're all focused on, even so, Lord, come quickly. The Lord's like, I done gave you what you needed to be saved from this age. What are you worried about? I just can't believe how evil the world is. Really? It's been like this when sin entered for a long time. Why are we surprised? Because we're sitting on a full tank with no means to use it. You don't have the power of the Spirit. So Christians are over here. It's so evil. It's so awful. You're not equipped, but it's not God's fault. It's yours. We have forgotten what is the fulfillment of the law. What is the requirement? Thanks for asking. Matthew 22, 35 through 40. Listen to Jesus' words. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, you gotta watch those people, asked him a question, tempting him. If you're a lawyer in here, I love you. (laughs) Tempting him saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto them, Unto him, thou shalt love. Y'all miss that word? <laughs> thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy what? Uh-huh. As thyself. On these, don't miss this. We're about to connect every dot. On these two commandments hang what? All the law and what? Prophets. I'm just making sure I'm reading the same version. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Everything in the Old Covenant hangs on one word. What did Jesus say it is? What's love got to do with it? It's got everything to do with it. Church, church. Jesus simply said, you're trying to trap me. They did. The Pharisees tried to pigeonhole him in on the Sabbath and, and on how are you talking to that woman and how are you healing on the Sabbath? He's like, guys, you know, all your commandments that you're talking about how you're fulfilling them, guess what the point of all of them are? Guess what the requirement of all of those were, was? To what? To love. Oh, you hold on. You stay right there don't you go anywhere Romans 8 verse 8 and 9 in our text it says you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit and if indeed the spirit of god lives in you if anyone does not have the spirit of christ he does not belong to him once again jesus's ministry and the holy spirit's ministry are the what they're the same We see Jesus' words in the gospel in regards to the Mosaic Law as he summarizes with his commentary that all the law is fulfilled in one word, love. Stay with me, I'm almost done. Also, I want to point out that Paul brings Jesus' work as our Savior and the Holy Spirit's work as our internal resident together. That's verses 8 and 9. The Holy Spirit and Jesus work together to accomplish the redeeming work of humanity. Now, we have to peer into what is coming to Romans chapter 13. Listen to Paul's wording on this, and this is this brings so much clarity. Romans 13 verses 8 through 10 says this. Do not owe anyone what? I think we're thinking about that the wrong way. Our mind immediately goes to, when someone says, don't owe anybody anything, what do you think of? Huh? Debt. Money. Don't owe anybody anything. You're only going to be able to serve the Lord if you don't owe anybody anything. I mean, there's some truth to that. We'll talk about that on on Wednesday. Think about this in context. The law. We've been set, what? Whoa! Stay right there! This just blew my mind this week. We've been set what? Free. So when we are in a context or in a mindset of owing someone, when we are in a context or a mindset of you must be circumcised, what are we doing? We're keeping the law. We're keeping the regulation. We are in what? Bondage. Anytime we look at a... Y'all don't even... Anytime we look at a list of religious things to do and we think of that in and of itself as the reason, we are in bondage. If we're living after the cross, if we're living after Jesus fulfilled it all, then we are never in bondage to something as according to what we have to do to fulfill it. It's already been what? Fulfilled. Do not owe. That's the wording. Do not owe anyone anything except to what? Love one another. For the one who loves another has what? Stay with me. They've fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Let me make this very simple for you. All of this has to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to talk about in coming weeks. But here's what I want to help you with. Do not owe anyone anything. When you choose to not love your neighbor, guess what? You're in bondage. Jesus went so far as to saying love your who? Love your enemies. I can't do that. As soon as you decide not to love someone you owe them something. As soon as you decide, I'm not gonna love them, you immediately entered a snare. You immediately put yourself in a position where fear, shame, and guilt are in control. When you decide, because you are having an argument with your spouse, I'm not gonna love them. I'm not gonna talk about that. Guess what? You're living in regulation. You're living in a snare. Here's what the law of the Spirit does. It loves at all times. The only way we are free, and those of you who have really worked on this, in your marriage is like an easy one to pick on, right? Those of you who have realized that I'm not, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. When I have conflict with my spouse, when I have conflict with my friends, when I have conflict with my coworkers, I'm not gonna gossip, I'm not gonna get angry, I'm going to love them. You have have felt and understood the fruit of this. You're free. Everyone that's struggling in their relationship or their marriage, they're all in bondage. This law, it's going to take a little bit of time to completely unpack it. The Holy Ghost wants to set you free. He wants to enable you to love at all times. It's not about a book of rules. And if it's about that, we're missing the what? We're missing the point. The meter this morning, the barometer, if you will, the thermometer on the temperature of how spirit-filled are we, is how are we loving? If we're not loving well, then we need to do some work on the law of the spirit, and we need to figure out how to get access to that gas tank. And that's what we're gonna talk about in the coming weeks. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.